Hey there, guys. Uh, I'm just dropping in here before we start the podcast just to let you know that we are coming to the end of season one. It has been an incredible journey for me uh, as a podcaster new to this, and I I just want to thank you all for being a part of it. Uh, We've heard some incredible people, and we have definitely more to come down the line, but we're going to be ending uh, this first season in the middle of December. We have a couple more episodes, uh, two two more bonus episodes as well, Uh, but I want to tell you some great news. Even though we are taking a pause on your authentic life. I'm going to be releasing six episodes, one season long of authentic you, uh, book podcast. Uh, this is going to be, um, me talking about the book, the different chapters and the journey along the way of making the book. I may have some special guests on there as well. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. It'll be starting right after, uh, this season ends, which is going to be in a couple weeks. Uh, we, I will keep you posted as, uh, episodes go on again. Thank you so much for tuning into your authentic life weekly. Um, I can't thank you enough. So please go ahead and share this episode along with others. And yeah, let's get to it. You are now listening to Your Authentic Life with Josiah Ball. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Your Authentic Life. I have a very special guest with me today. I've known him since he was probably 12 years old. Uh, Good friend of mine. Uh, We have connected much, much, much over the years. And uh, well, you know what? This guy doesn't need much of an introduction at all. I'll just let us start the conversation. This is Ian Kenville, everybody. How's it going? Happy to be here. I, you know, I'm happy you're here too. So I feel like I never know how to kick off these conversations. I'm always just like, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. It's good to be here. All right. See ya. Yeah. Good to to go as well. Now. So Ian, tell, tell everybody about who you are, what's going on in the life of Ian Kenville. And, you know, I just, I was telling Ian right before we got on here to press record, I was like, Let's just talk because something always good happens when we talk. Something great comes out. So just tell us about who you are, what you do right now, and uh, where you've been, where you're going. Yeah. Um, So just a little bit about myself. My name is Ian Kenville. And so I am a creative from the Rochester area. And I choose the term creative to describe myself because if I tried to just like whittle it down to one thing that I do, I wouldn't be able to pick that. Um, But by creative, I have a history in music and media creation, so video and some photo, graphic designs, um, stuff like that. Um, I'm a big world traveler, so I love going to different cities around the country to shoot, especially since I got a drone that's really, like, inspired me to travel more. Um, And then just like you, I'm also really into fitness, big fitness buff. Um, A couple years ago, made a huge lifestyle change and actually worked to lose 115 pounds during the pandemic. So that kind of led me to, you know, hitting my goal weight and then just kind of being like, what do I want to do now? So I was like, I guess I'll get really into fitness. So I ran a half marathon last year, did some tough mutter stuff like that. And so now that it's been about a year of going to the gym, I feel like I'm actually able to call myself like a gym rat. I don't know. Yeah, when do you actually guru. like 
I almost feel like they should give you like a chip or something at your year mark of going to your gym regularly. <laughs> that's like, okay, now you can, now you can tell people that you actually work out. Right. So That's funny. Uh, yeah. So that's a little bit about me. Wow. That was a nutshell of you. Yeah. That was like, like, like a mustard seed shell. If they had shells, that was not a lot, but you know, Ian has a, a huge variety of things in his life that he's done. Um, I knew I met Ian at camp. I was a counselor and he was uh, a camper. He was 12. I was 18. I think that's right. I think that's the age gap. Probably. I don't know. And uh, yeah, he, I just seen, I just seen him grow up uh, to incredible man he is today. And uh, he has a lot to say and he's done a lot of things, a lot of good, a lot of, um great and yeah you, you so you did the tough mutter this in in toronto he tried to get me to do it with him but um i was busy that day yeah okay <laughs> i'm also not an idiot so i'm just you know those races are addicting bro i'm telling you i'm gonna get you to come to one of because they have a lot of local ones so like tough yeah. mutter and spartan are like the brands so those yeah. are like the big races that like the crews travel around and set them up and it's like that's the big ones but because of that all these local places they do these small little ripoff ones the same way everybody does 5ks yeah and some of them are not that well put together, but there was one I did in Buffalo um, called the Buffalo uh, something, not the Buffalo Stomp. I don't remember, but it was like a five mile one and it was like almost as fun as the Tough Mudder. So I'll have to pull you and get you on one of those sometime. Yeah, I just I just can't get behind pain to run. Honestly, I, I did it once with a 5K turkey trot last year. And I was coughing up blood, I'm pretty sure, at the end of it. And uh, my father-in-law beat me and he i mean he just is good at everything he does so um this year i feel like i could keep up but honestly i'm not even gonna try so running it running <laughs> yeah. is not my thing maybe with a little bit of obstacles and stuff in the way it'd be a lot more fun but running yeah you know, just a 5k was like this is i paid i paid 50 bucks to do this to run and i don't even win i win a Capri sun at the end now nah, you get a banana if you're lucky yeah. Um, well, Tough Motor give you beer when you're done. So that should be incentive. Enough. That's true. Yeah. But I hear it's like, like Coors Light or something. I'm not into that's it's like, not that's even Coors refreshing Light. refreshing water or something. It's some sponsor they have, dude. And it's like a 3.5%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Um, you mean my 8% IPA? Yeah. What's cool with the Tough Mudders that I really liked was um, they're not races. Like they are races if you treat it that way. So like the team I ran mine with, we ran the whole thing, but a lot of people walk it and they just treat it like an obstacle course. Yeah. So, but those obstacles are no joke. I think if you just go into it as a runner, you're going to be like very disappointed with your results. Yeah. If you don't have any sort of gym regiment, because you should probably be able to do a pretty good amount of like pull-ups and stuff to be in these, some of those walls and stuff, it's like full on upper body. It's basically everything Garrett does yeah. um, for fun, <laughs> except someone, you know, they kind of like put it in a race. For those listening who don't know Garrett, he's one of my best friends who is a, a trainer at the gym I work at. And, uh, he just does a lot of pull-ups and muscle-ups and flips and he's a ninja. So, um, yeah, dude, I, yeah, let's, let's talk about, let's just talk about life. Um, yeah. church, church, let's talk about 
a topic I think that you could really speak into um, right now. Um, you have a lot of friends um, from different backgrounds of life and uh, something that I'm not too familiar with. I'm a little bit familiar because I've tried to educate myself, but this whole, the whole concept of uh, deconstructing your faith. Um, there's a point in my life where when I was 25, which would have been um, four or five years ago now, maybe even earlier than that, maybe 23, where I got to a point where I was like, why do I believe what I believe? And I think a lot of people start there. I think, especially if you grew up in church, pastor's kid, church culture, you get to a point where like, why do I believe this? Why do I believe that this guy a couple thousand years ago died for me? Why do I believe? Is it just because I was raised in it or do I truly believe? And I had to do my own digging into the Bible, into some different things that, and I would say that is a form of deconstruction for me, but it was on a foundation. Like you looked at a house that was built and the foundation was solid and you destroy the house and you're building on that, upon that foundation back up. Um, that for me is how I saw it with myself, but how would you describe deconstruction in our world today? And people that are just deciding to be like, you know what, screw this lifestyle. I don't want to part, be a part of it. It's not what's good right now. Yeah. Well, I think um, just to give a little context, I don't know, we've talked about this some, but I mean, in the last year I've had my own deconstruction journey that I've gone on yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. And I think, you know, you said 25, I, you know, I turned 25 this year. So it's the similar timing. And I think to what you said before, where you were like, you know, why is it that people just, you know, they, they look at the Bible and they're just like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm like, I don't really think deconstructing is that at all. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most common misconceptions that I've heard about people deconstructing that then lead to deconversion is mm -hmm. that they deconstructed for one of two reasons. They either A, deconstructed because they wanted to live a life of sin, which I think that a lot of people that deconstruct, what you start to see is that as your viewpoints change, your view of what is right and what's wrong change. And so I'm not saying people go and they don't test the waters within that, but I don't think anybody just wakes up one day at the end of deconstructing says I'm deconverting from Christianity. Now I'm going to go on a cocaine bender, you know, like right. if that makes sense. And I think the misconception is like, that's what happens. Um, yeah. But then the second misconception that I see a lot of is people are like, oh, they just, they just gave it up one day and threw it all away. And I'm like, deconstructing is like an onion. And there are layers upon layers upon layers of it. And sometimes you get three layers in and there's something from a connecting layer before that's kind of like seeped its way down in there. And I think when you look at where the church is at in 2022 in America and you see just the rise of nationalism yeah. and church trauma, and I think something that's really important within Christian faith is that your foundation needs to be built on the rock and it's something that you need to do yourself. And so I think one of the reasons so many people deconstruct midway through is because I think they come through Christian households and then Christian college or some sort of faith community. And yeah. then they're out on their own and it's this transition season in life. And you get hit by a couple life things and, you know, they kind of catch you off guard at first, but like you, everyone knows what it's like. Life kind of hits you a little bit in your twenties in a different way, because I'm like, I've had so many moments where I'm like, this is real now. 
Like if I decide to do this, this could happen. Or if I decide to do this, I could ruin my whole financial structure type of a thing. You know, like your decisions have a lot more weight than when you're in college and younger. And so I think when people get to that point, I think faith gets a lot more real at times because you really start to see what you have. Um, And I think when the rubber meets the road, you eventually like your walls come down, even if it's just to yourself. Yeah. And that's when I think most people kind of like grab the sledgehammer and start breaking windows and stuff because it's just time for a change. And like, that's kind of where I had hit. I had um, transitioned from like an uber charismatic church to a more Baptist background church when I switched um, to take the you know position I have right now at Northridge. And it was hard because when you've got one theology telling you it's all emotion and it's bogus, you know, this yeah. is like large generalization. And then the new theology is just saying like book knowledge, book knowledge, book knowledge, but there's no substance to it. Like these are the polars you find in those two camps. So when you come from one, throw yourself in the other, you feel like an outcast in the one and you feel like everything you came from is invalidated. And that's what put me in a place where I was just like, oh shoot, like where do I go from here? And so for me, the solution was to, you know, tear it all down and, you know, start building it up again. Um, But I think when you start building it up again, you see your whole faith journey in a new light. And I think you see God from a different perspective. And I think in our lives, we typically see God in different from different angles and different perspectives, just at different times and in different seasons. But I think that's one of the reasons that deconstruction is just so common is because it's like, you know, when life finally hits you, that's when you evaluate it. Yeah. And I think I think for me, what I evaluated though were situations from like six, seven years ago. They weren't things that just happened. There were things I sat with that kind of built up over time. And, you know, you kind of trace it back to the source a little bit and you start to realize, oh, this thing did affect me because this affected this and then this affected this. And now we're here. Yeah. So, sorry, yeah. that was long winded. No, that was great. You had a lot of good things to say in there. And I think, you know, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of, I, I like when you said, like, you know, if you're growing up in church and you go to like a college or you're just in this Christian community your whole life, you're never outside of it. This time you step out of it and you realize, wow, my world is so small compared to the whole world that God made. Yeah. Um, that's when you really have to reevaluate and look at life differently because not everybody gets you but there is one person that does and that's God, you know, not to sound like this cliche kind of person, but it's like when everything is stripped away and you get down to your very core, none of it matters. None of what, what you were raised in, what you were taught theology wise, none of it matters to your identity. Uh, The only thing that matters to your identity is who God says you are when it comes to the yeah. very core of who you are. And that for me, it came to a point where I was like, we are in a place of, or I'm in a place where I, at the time I just had gotten divorced. Um, I was in, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I feel like my ministry is completely destroyed and I don't know what to do. And I had to tear down these walls of God is doing this to me just so I can learn a lesson. You know, people said said that to me. They're like, well, maybe God's teaching you a lesson. That's why your wife left you. I'm like, I don't, I, I, I've heard that my whole life. And I even preached something like that. Like God's, God's teaching you a lesson. 
I don't believe that anymore because part of my deconstruction was understanding that God actually loves me. He didn't create it to happen, but he, he used it in my life and he was there in my life to help it. And so that's what part of it was for me was no, God didn't make my wife's heart hard towards me. So she would leave me and I would learn a lesson. That's a terrible, terrible father. You know, the, the, so for me, it was like deconstruction was screw all this bad theology that's actually separating me from God and let's build a house with good materials that's bringing me closer to God. Yeah. And I think for me, like where I'm at, like currently in my situation, like without, you know, going down all my rabbit holes, cause I could talk yeah. about this for hours. For sure. But I think for me, it's like, I've hit a, I've hit the stage of like having to separate the church from like the father, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I have some days where I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm mad at God. I think I'm just mad at you guys. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't think I'm like, I don't think I'm upset with something that like the Lord did. Cause I don't feel like God looked down on high and was like, all right, let's mess this up in your life today. But I do think sometimes it's one of those situations where it's like, all right, I'm already like on edge. And I'm like, just stop talking. And I feel yeah. like that's something that's like very difficult um, for a lot of Christians to navigate is the difference yeah. between finding the failure in church culture and not equating it to God failing you. Yeah. Um, especially because it's like, I think right now church culture is at it's like all time most toxic because with social media, not only do we get to experience the church hurt of ourselves, but we get to experience the church hurt of everyone else in the world because yeah everyone's posting about it. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of it, majority of it is the Western world of America. Yeah. You look at all the things that's happened in America. It's like, this is never how church was supposed to be. Church was supposed to be around a dinner table with your friends, your close people, the people that you can express like, Hey, I'm going through this, this stuff right now. And I need, I need help. Like, or I just, there's a place of confession. Like church was never supposed to be thousands of people in this auditorium where one person confesses that they screwed up on something. And then they get to announce the whole church and say like, we're going to, he's taking us a sabbatical because he's living a sinful life. That was never what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, a place where you felt felt protected where you could come with your faults. You can come with your hurt and then grow from it. It was never supposed to be like this. And then, then it gets to a place where, because it became like this, we're hiding our sin. We're hiding um, different things we're going through. And then it just festers and becomes a huge thing where you get people like Carl Lentz, who's sleeping around and throwing a whole church away because of, because he's not able to come forward with his, with his stuff. Yeah. And I think like one of the other most toxic parts that you see within this is it's like, as I've seen like the church rise in just like the culture, culture has icons and culture wants celebrities. And like, if you look at our modern culture, we're looking to push celebrities higher and higher from the rest of us, because I think at the end of the day, the majority of us want to be like them. So it's like, we almost push the platform that we wish we had. Yeah. And so, and that's why you see people, you know, mourning these artists like they knew them i'm not trying to be disrespectful of anyone so like any artists that have like passed away you know like even yesterday i was like i made a post about takeoff passing away but 
you know, you see people that are living on their phones and, and I make this content. So I tell you how great it is because I come up with it, but I can also tell you it's not real life. Right. And it's like, I think the church falls in that camp too, though, because I think so much of this is just this online persona. Yeah. And there's these pastors that are better public speakers than you. I'm not going to say they're a better pastor than you, but I'm just going to say they're objectively like, uh, you know, like Stephen Furtick is objectively a better public speaker than the majority of people in this country. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys, it's just, they're very talented men, but it's like, you see the talent and you see the charisma, but you see it as faith. And it's like, that's not it. You know, I, I think one of the people that I've always been really inspired by that we both know is uh, Keith Barreto. Yes. And, you know, Keith doesn't need 50,000 people in a stadium for his messages to have impact. No. You know, he can do it in a school. He can do it on the side of the road and it's going to be just as effective. But I think, you know, when you see someone like that and you go see his Instagram account, you're not going to see, oh, my gosh, this is someone that is like a person of like integrity. This is a person right. that, you know, has like such a successful like career in ministry. But it's like, no, because that's not what it's about. It's not a numbers game. And so as soon as we made church the numbers game, though, I think that's when really things started to fall off. Yeah. But, but then the other thing is like just getting back to like celebrity pastors is it's like you see this rise in fame. But then the fall off is so quick because we put pastors in the same role as celebrities. So we cancel them just as quickly. And then it also, it, a, it invalidates everything they've done, which I think is bogus because it's not just that one person. It's not just Carl Lentz running Hillsong, you know, right. There's all the people that do live integral, morally sound lives there that get, you know, just as hurt by that. Right. And I think it's because we're putting way too much stock in, you know, the ability of man. So yeah. And, and you look at, you can't negate everything though, just because he screwed up. Yeah. He did a lot of good. He, he did, he wrote great books, great theology stuff. And like the guy screwed up, you know, he he's reality is like, I mean, we're, I mean, when, if you're called into the ministry, you're called to one of the things they said at this conference, I was just at the art of teaching. They yeah. said, the main thing about preaching is the integrity of the pulpit, the, um, closing the gap between your real life and on stage. It challenged me even when it came to swearing, like, like the, one of the speakers, he, he said he doesn't swear in real life because he's not one of those cool. He's, he said, I'm not one of those cool hipster pastors right now that swears in their messages. He goes, so if I'm not going to swear in my message, why should I swear in my life? Because he wants to close that gap of integrity. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot for me that I'm like, okay, I get that. I see that. And, um, I just pulled up this quote from Rich Viotis that I love in regards to this. It's, there's a world of difference between being a pastor versus being a content creator who has the title of pastor. Pastoring entails proximity to people. And I think about some pastors I've had in the past and they're, they want to be content creators. They, they want to put the best in front of everybody. They want to put the best um, photos of like, oh, yeah, we have a full service on Sundays and look at this and get the right angles. They're, they're doing the whole content creator game. Get the right yeah. angles, get the right uh, filters and make it look like we are a thriving church via Instagram when reality is there are people hurting and broken inside your church and you're hurting and broken. And if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of this church? Because you're just trying to create an image 
and using a church body to push, push your own personal image. And that's seen across America. Yeah. And I think my thing is, it's like, we talked about this the other day, because I was like joking with you and I was like, you should become a content creator, pastor online. <laughs> and I think the world needs to separate the two because I think that oh, there's sure. a place and a role for like the Ruslans of this world yeah. that like are just going to say, you know what? I, I have theology. I'm good at public speaking. I don't consider myself a pastor, but I'm going to be a YouTuber and we're going to break down, you know, hermeneutics on YouTube. Yeah, like, I think I that's, mean, that's a teacher. I think yeah. you gotta look back at the, like the fivefold, where you look at yeah. some will be teachers, some will be pastors, some will be prophets, some will be evangelists, some will be apostles. Yeah, there is a world of difference between a pastor and a teacher. I mean, pastors can teach, uh, but there's some people out there that are teachers who go on YouTube and be like, "Hey, here's breakdown of this word. I'm going to teach you how to study the word. I'm going to teach you and." And, and I think you need all of them to lead a church. I think you can't yeah. have a church led by an evangelist. Uh, you can't have a church. I mean, you can, and it's worked, but you lose a lot of elements that are going to keep it, you know, keep the congregation engaged with God and growing and teaching people how to be disciples of Jesus. Exactly. And I mean, I think something that's like so important is it's like, you have to just know your role. I yeah. mean, Someone once like like people will tease me and because I, I work full time for a church and they'll be like, oh, the video pastor. I'm like, no, because I'm not like yeah. I'm the I don't want to be like I'm the farthest thing from a pastor, but it's like in some ways I'm the creative like, pastor. Yeah, I'm not the creative pastor. I'm creative like, content I'm the, pastor. Mm -hmm. I have a pastoral bone in my body. No, I am you very know, much from that. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, but you know what? It's because what do pastors do? They shepherd the flock. I'm a lone yeah. wolf. I go by myself. Yeah. I, you probably don't want me being your pastor because I'm not going to shepherd you well, but I can, I can make you content though, that makes people go, whoa, and yeah. get them to pay attention to your message because they're like, oh, you do it like this. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with doing things with excellence. I think the, the caveat to all of this is it's like, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like right. I still think there's something cool about churches that utilize a lot of creative content because I think as a creative, that's what I look for Yeah, is I'm like, cool. But do you, do you, you know, do you find, you know, creativity as a form of worship? Do you find it as something that's got value to you? Or do you just see it as like what we need to get our church more numbers to get to the next level? Because yeah. I think the difference between saying an led wall on our stage is just going to make, you know, the feel in here, something that is more open to unbelievers. That's one thing saying we need this because people can't worship without it. That's, that's another. Exactly. Yeah, so, I was just, I was just talking, uh, um, I was interviewing somebody and I don't know if, um, for the, for the podcast on worship and, you know, we were talking about that same, same thing where, you know, God is a creative person. And so I think he values the creativity with, that we have in our worship culture and, and with the culture of um, the new technology that's been created over the years and using that technology to worship God. I think it is, I think it is important, but the Western church has created a church where we have twisted the, the main goal and everybody's like, Oh yeah, let's just go to make disciples. I'm like, well, you're, you're a little, Sunday service where you have 
you know, secular music playing in the lobby. Then you come into the service and it's like high end worship and everything. And just to see somebody be like, yeah, I give my life to God. And then there's no follow up. There's no like walking life with them. There's no sitting at a dinner table with them. That's not church, you know? And, and if you look at the charismatic and Pentecostal w- world, it, it, somebody coming up to the front to get an encounter where, where they lay their hands on them and then give them a little nudge to fall over in the presence, a little, you know, speaking in tongues over them. And then you just walk away, be like, they got an encounter with God, but you give them no direction on how to follow and be a disciple of God. Like that's not church. And, and we've created this in the Western world of church where it's just like play good music, have a good charismatic extroverted person on stage, giving a word, do a little altar call and you feel good about yourself and you can go on. And yeah, I'm just tired of that culture. And I think that's why a lot, I think a lot of people are tired of seeing that we created church for Christians. We've, we created church for Christians, not for the unsaved. At this past conference, I was just at, he was talking that one of the pastors from, he was from New York city is John Tyson. He was talking about his church in the city and in New York city. And he, he said, he goes, I know our church is a, is a lot of um, church transfers. We're the biggest yeah. thing right now. He goes, but we had this one girl who gave her life to God and we baptized and he showed a picture of them baptizing her. And he goes, he goes, yeah, people are coming to the church, but all of heaven is rejoicing about this one person that gave their life to God. Yeah. And I think that's incredible because the other thing is it's like, I think one of the main problems I see just with the modern church in America is we have to fix the backdoor problem before we can wonder what's wrong with the front because churches are like obsessed with new attendees, um, new baptisms. I think baptisms are really important. So I'm not trying to invalidate like the story you just said, like unrelated, but I'm saying like the quota of baptisms, if that makes sense. Like, um, but they're not really doing a great job of looking at who's sneaking out the back and not saying a word or who's right. sneaking out the back and making, you know, a scene about it. And you're just like, no, we don't really care. Like they're just, they never believed to begin with. Right. Um, you know, because I think like, like you said, I think a lot of these people walking into church doors for the first time are not unsaved. I don't right. think they're looking to be saved. I think they're coming from another church. Yep. You know, or they're coming from another experience that didn't work out. I I think the majority of people I interview um, with salvation stories talk about, so I went to church at this point, or yep. this was my experience. And then it always goes bad from there. And it's like, I think you get a lot of people that are walking in that are pretty beat up by church world. And so I don't think your EDM music in the lobby is going to solve that. I think a hug and someone actually caring means a lot more at the end of the day. But I don't think that can stop once they join your membership class. I think that's when it just starts. You know, I think church does a really great job of emphasizing welcome home and they don't do a great job of saying like, hey, we're glad you're here to the person that's been attending for a year. Because at that point, it's just like, are you serving three times a month or, you know, should we just like let you get out of the way for this new person that's excited about being here? Right. Get a new 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 sheep here come get the out yeah. sheep out and 
So yeah, and then they bounce to the next church. Yep. That says no, 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 we're different from that. But the the reality is this: the longer you're at a church, the longer you're going to see the flaws. That's inevitable. Yeah. So I'm sorry to break it to you, but I'm yet to be in a church that was perfect because right. I can tell you a story from all the ones I've been in that's Same. hurtful and it's but it's truth. But it's like that's yeah. that's just dealing with people. I can also tell you those stories from my sports teams or my friend group. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think what's hard is when it's such an emphasis on the new person and then those things happen, there's not that resolution necessarily. A lot of the times it's just a quick, wait, why don't you go here anymore? Right. Way after the fact. Well, yeah, man. Well, that was, that was a lot. We got to continue this conversation. This is, this is, it just unfolded and unfolded, but um, I'm taking way too much of your time here. And, uh, <laughs> I know you got to hit the gym, you gym rat. So gotta get the gains in. Right. So real quick, um, just in, in 30 seconds, tell me what does authentic life mean to you? What does it mean to live your authentic life? Um, go ahead. I always loved the expression, take your mask off before COVID happened and it came politicized. So, um, <laughs> But like without using that verbiage, I think the living your authentic life to me looks like living a life, um, living a life that's open in a sense. I think it's very easy for people in church world, especially people that have any sort of interactions in ministry, whether it's just a volunteer or like a career thing. Yeah. Um, you, you definitely feel this like desire and this need to put up the facade of your perfect Christian life. And I think the best way we live our authentic lives is by living it open. And that doesn't mean walking up to everyone you just met and, you know, draining your problems on them, but it means surrounding yourself with a community of people that you can trust and you can just authentically be yourself with. Because I think the only way we're able to grow as people is by growing with the people around us that are in similar situations and similar circles And I think that's how we develop and grow as people. And if I've learned anything at 25, it's that it feels better to keep things secret and to keep things more reserved or close to the chest. But the more you're just willing and able to be open with people, the more you're going to start to feel like you don't have one foot in two different camps. And I think it's really easy to feel a need to like almost shy away from talking about controversial things in church because we don't want to get labeled as, you know, the reckless Christian or the Christian that, you know, has all these sin issues or, you know, they don't find the same convictions as you, but I think that's how we develop and grow as people is by sharing those things and having those conversations. Yeah. So I think that's how we be our authentic selves. That was definitely closer to a minute, but. No, you're good. All right, man. Well, where can people find you? And uh, we'll put it in the description as well. So. Yeah. You can find, you can find my SoundCloud. No. Yeah. Um, seven years ago, maybe. So. Yeah. I don't think that's even up anymore. I think I deleted it for safety. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at Ian Kenville, or you can go follow my video page at Films by Ian Kenville, which you should do soon because I'm probably gonna have some wedding sales coming up. So let's go. If you ain't married, rides, go and check that out. Rides and grooms, check that out. So you can find me there. You can go listen to my music on uh Spotify and Apple Music. So I've got some new stuff coming out. Um let's go next couple months. So just wrapping up some songs. So yeah, nice. I don't know. I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. I'm trying to decide if I want to drop it as like a double-sided EP and do like a side A, side B, or if I'm just going to give everybody the full thing at once. But Nice. Yeah, so you can find me there. Awesome. We're on at hello, I'm Josiah's Instagram story. Right. Find him find on there later. All right. Thanks, Ian. You're great.
Bye. <laughs>